You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Tomahawk Nation Who's Dedicated Podcast. I am Matt Minnick, joined here, as always, by, by Michael Rogner. Uh, it's nice to be able to pod again after a, a win, Michael, uh, coming off an 80-77 to 77 victory over, over Syracuse. And, and we've had a couple of days now. This is Monday, uh, President's Day, February 17th. So we decided to take a couple of days to reflect both on the win and also be able to get a little bit, uh, just a better sense of what's happening in the ACC landscape. Uh, but but it was great to see Florida State get get back in the win column. They didn't let one loss turn into two. Six straight games uh, against Syracuse over a point per possession, and they did it this time without their leading scorer. Uh, so, Michael, what were what was kind of your your big picture takeaway from the Syracuse game? Well, for starters, I think we got to go go straight to MJ Walker. I mean, that dude is a a warrior. He missed like what twenty minutes while he's getting his face stitched up, and then yeah, maybe twenty five of game time. Yeah, yeah, and then and then comes back in and not not only contributes, but you know, is just as focused as he was in in the early part of the game. Hit some huge shots down the down the stretch. It was it was obviously big having him come back with with Devin Vassell. Sitting over on the bench, praying the whole, the whole game. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but uh, his prayers were were uh, caught on camera you know, quite often during that game. So, yeah, and it's interesting too that Terrence Mann missed a game uh, or was suspended. I think a half I, suspended. We'll never know, but had a, missed a half suspiciously last year uh, when I think Bake had come back in town. Dwayne Bake and uh, that Bake is, is his nickname. And then uh, this year, of course. Uh, Terrence and Bake and Biondo and a whole bunch of guys come back in town, and it just so happens to be that that night uh, or that day is is the one that Devin Vassell uh, doesn't see action the next day. I, so you know, conspiracy theorists you can draw your own conclusions there. But did you see back to MJ who who bailed his teammate out? I mean, MJ Walker and you know a few other guys. Pat Williams played well, really bailed out Vassell. Did you see his lip after the game and and the sti- the twelve the twelve stitches? Yeah, I saw that that the interview that was done right after the game. I, I guess in the, in the in the locker room, <laughs> man, his the, and they they showed him on the on the broadcast, you know, a couple times in profile, and his 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 face did did not look good. Yeah, I'll be actually interested to see what he looks like against Pitt, um, and, and we're going to talk Pitt late, you know, at the end of this podcast. But coming up tomorrow night, uh, you know, those those types of things can be one of the you know where the bruising and sometimes the pain actually is worse a few days later than it is in the moment when you're all jacked up on adrenaline and 
whatever else they uh, gave him to, to make it feel better. So, um, yeah, kudos to, like you said, he's a warrior and, and that four point play was, was the play that had to happen in that moment. And he, he nailed it. Uh, so kudos to him aside from MJ Walker, uh, just being, being that junkyard dog out there, what, what else stood out to you from, from the game? It was a game that kind of Florida state controlled for most of it led by double digits in the second half, but, but still came down to the wire. Yeah, we had, we had talked uh, in the pod about the importance of offensive rebounding against the zone, and and Florida State goes out and gets twenty offensive rebounds, which which was I, I can't remember a game in recent memory that that they have done that. This team has not been uh, particularly good on the offensive boards, but so they went out and they, and they they you know they got more offensive rebound rebounds than Syracuse got defensive rebounds. Yeah, but we just we just couldn't really do anything. You know, we we it wasn't like we were getting put back dunks or kick out threes or we were just basically just extending possessions. And they were, they were, they were still able to get, you know, a few stops here and there. I think, I think Syracuse had half as many offensive rebounds and probably more second chance points. So that, that was sort of a weird, um, you know, Florida state did something really well. They just weren't uh, rewarded for it as, as much as, as, as you might expect. Uh, Florida state did a great job taking away the three, you know, the, uh, uh, Syracuse, uh, half their shots on the season have been threes. And in this game, I think 38 twos and only 25 threes. So Florida, Florida State did a really good job of just taking away the three. And, you know, we, we complain about, um, you know, all these straight line drives that end up in layups and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, the, you know, the, the trade-off is that when you're switching everything, when you're extending really high pressure, if if you're not getting killed on those dribble drives, then you can really take away threes, which Florida State was able to do. Uh, Joe Girard made five of twelve. He's hasn't been a particularly good shooter, but you know he he made some shots, and you know even the shots that he was taking and Buddy Beheim, some of those you know were, were from the logo. You know, I know we got a big logo, but it's still like you know twenty eight <laughs> feet or so, something from yeah. the from yeah. the basket. Uh, yeah, I think your point about the you know. You can't, once the shot leaves the air, that's kind of, you know, it's up to the gods at that point, the three point luck uh, lottery, because, because generally speaking, unless it's one second left on the shot clock or at the end of the game, like with Elijah Hughes's desperation shot, like people aren't taking shots that are closely contested, right? I mean, they, nobody wants to have their shot blocked. So generally speaking, they're taking an, an, an open or a semi open look. Uh, and so oftentimes, three point defense is much more about, um, not allowing the shot to be taken or, or forcing it to be taken from so far away that you now have adjusted what would be the normal in rhythm 22 foot shot. Uh, and so to your point, I think, you know, to have Buddy Beheim only be over five, uh, that, that's a huge effort. And yeah, Gerard made some, but um, they, some, even some of those were like kind of desperation threes that he, you know, tip of the cap made. So I think you're on spot on with that. Um, what about, what about maybe, uh, Pat Williams is he, he seems to, it was an MVP, Ken Palm MVP game for him, which is the third of the year, but second in the last like four games. So is, is this another step for him? Yeah, he, he played 18 minutes in the second half. I, I, I don't remember when he came out, but apparently he did. Um, Forrest actually played all 20 minutes in the second half. Maybe we can get to that in a minute, but, yeah. but Patrick Williams, he was, was really good, especially in the short corner, you know, where we, we had talked about, you want uh, athletic guys who have that mid range game. And, you know, that that's Patrick Williams. He was, he was able to do a lot of, a lot of damage with, with uh, Forrest and others getting inside the zone, get, get the ball to Patrick Williams down in the short corner. And then he was able to make some really good things happen. And then he was also just able to play above Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse is, long they're athletic uh you know they're a team that when they get off the plane they look a lot like florida state but patrick williams was clearly in a different class of of uh, athlete just being down under under the basket going some of those offensive rebounds he got were were just incredible and and you know the ability to go up against uh you know the syracuse bigs who are like you know six ten, a little bit bigger than than, than patrick and, and still be able to you know, sort of play in that rarefied air that most players, you know, cannot do. So that was one of those games where we just, 
you know, we saw the five-star rating of Patrick Williams sort of, sort of taking over, you know, it wasn't anything uh, special that he did from a, from a, you know, X's and O's standpoint. I mean, he obviously followed the scouting point, did the scouting report and did what the coaches wanted, but he was just, he was just a, a, a caliber of athlete that Syracuse could not, you know, deal with in that game. And so that was, that was really fun to see. Yeah. You're, you're spot on there. There there's, there's a lot of games where coaches can win with, with adjustments made during the game or perhaps how they draw up a, a scout and, you know, how they decide to take away another team's strength. Um, but, you know, some games are won quite simply because of what a coach does during the AAU circuit season. And, uh, you know, this game felt, especially with Devin out, right? And so Devin is out. Then MJ has that long stretch, as you mentioned. And, and look, we, we talked about this way back on pod number one that this offense is not capable of functioning at a forget an elite level at even an above average level when you don't consistently have one of or, or two of Trent Devin and MJ on the court at the same time. And we went a long stretch with not having either one of those guys available. Um, and, and, and yes, role players stepped up. You had Wyatt Wilkes doing what he kind of does every game at home now, which is make a couple threes. You had Raekwon Evans make a couple threes and, and also dish out five, uh, four assists, no turnovers there. And, and you had Raekwon Gray not play well offensively, but do his typical uh, self on defense and grab 10 boards. But at the end of the day, it was Patrick Williams in the second half who, like you said, he just was the best player on the court. Like, he just was the best athlete on the court. He had the highest pro, pro potential on the court. And, and that is sometimes when, where you win a game, which is getting a guy like that to sign at your school. Um, and so, you know, if maybe this is the only year that, um, that Pat plays at Florida State, but he certainly, you know, I think was the difference between uh, FSU winning and losing the Syracuse game. Uh, what, what about maybe a, a neg- you know, so a 20-game home winning streak, uh, we continue that. We continue um, actually to be in the chase for for uh, we kind of ruled it out last time, but not unthinkable that there could be a three way tie with the with the ACC regular season since Louisville dropped a game to Clemson. Um, what were some of the negatives, or perhaps the you know big negative that you noticed in the game? Um, I thought aside from taking uh, threes away from Syracuse, our defense was pretty bad. Got beat down the court several times on on fast breaks. Uh, gave up ten um, offensive rebounds to Syracuse. Um, did did uh, uh, not turn them over. We we had eighteen turnovers. They they only had eleven. Is Vassell um, part of that? I mean, is is he yeah, part of Vassell, that turning over and and the blocking shots? Yeah, I think this is this is what you get when MJ is is out for twenty five minutes and Vassell sits out the game. You know, it's just. If 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 those two, along with Trent Forrest, are not playing, then we're going to have problems. And uh, you you would hate to think that's you know somewhere down the stretch there's going to be another game, you know, an important game like an ACC tournament game or an NCAA tournament game, where suddenly we're faced without uh, you know be, being able to have all those three guys on the court because we're we're kind of seeing what the defense is without them. Uh, you know, our defense is undersized. I know everybody talks about us being the tallest team in the country, but the defense is still pretty undersized, uh, down low especially. And if if you if you, <laughs> if you don't have your best players um, on the court, we're just seeing a massive drop-off, uh, you know, on that end of the floor. Yeah. No, I, I don't have a lot to add there. I think that it was pretty clear that, um, you know, like you said, we came into the game leading the – uh, country and blocks and, and we still do and, and leading the ACC in steals and we still do but both those numbers were significantly down from where we've been uh, you know for much of the season in, in this game uh, so I, I think like you said you saw the absence of, of MJ and, and Devin there what about Trent playing 37 minutes talk, talk to me about that that's a lot of minutes and we come back and play on Tuesday now yeah, especially when he had to play the entire second half without ever coming out. He had ten, six turnovers all in the, all in the second half. You know, we, we've seen uh, Raquan Evans be pretty good recently, and and he uh, 
we we kind of needed him to to perform a different role in this game because Vassell was out. That's so right. he was almost he was almost always on the floor, you know, with Trent, and we weren't bringing him in to to give Trent some rest. So it's it, you know it's it's if you're if you're game planning against Florida State right now, you know you're you're basically game planning against Trent Forrest when it comes to you know who's going to be handling the ball and running running the offense and. You, you never want the opposing coaches to be able to, you know, really focus on one guy. But, you know, we've said, we've said it before and, and we'll be saying the same thing a month from now. You know, it is what it is. You know, we, there's, there's no – all those all those NBA guys that were, that were sitting, you know, on the baseline watching this game, you know, none of those guys are suiting up and coming in. This is, you know, this is Trent's team. He's playing way too many minutes. We're not blowing people out so that he can rest. And every time, every time we do that, we are – you know, kind of putting a tiny little chink in the armor uh, for for March because our our you know most he's not the he might not be the most valuable player, but he's the most important player on the team, um, and he is uh, you know just playing too much basketball, and, and and there's not an easy solution for it. Ah, you are you're taking me down to negative town, sir. <laughs> um, and unfortunately I think you're, I mean, you know, absent a player like going all Shabazz Napier or Kimba Walker on, on, you know, the NCAA tournament where they just put up a, a, an absurd six game run. I, yeah, it's, he's playing too many minutes and, and there's been a lot of discussion on the boards about why on the uh, Tom Hog nation boards about why, you know, why does our Kim Palm keep dropping? And, and I think that's a pretty simple explanation. Like we're not, uh, whether, the why we could talk about the why for a whole podcast, whether it's depth or, you know, we don't have the killer instinct for young or teams are, I don't know. I've actually been looking at how they're shooting. Our free throw defense, if you will, is terrible. Teams keep continuing to kind of shoot above their heads defensive on free throws against us. Um, <laughs> but it, the, the reality of why we're not improving on Kim Palm despite winning is because we're not, we're not winning by a lot of points. We're not exceeding the computer algorithms expectations to me then forget Ken Palm. I don't really, you know, whatever that's a, that's a byproduct of the, of the scores. The larger issue, what you just said is moving forward as we get into March, as you play three games in three days, maybe in the ACC tournament or two games in three days in the NCAA tournament for back-to-back weekends. Like we're talking about a guy who's played now, um, almost 80% of the team's minutes and you look ahead at the schedule. Well, it's projected one point game against NC state, two point game against Louisville, two point game against Clemson, two point game against Notre Dame. Like we have to, we need to blow some teams out. Uh, Pittsburgh needs to be a double digit win where Trent Forrest can play under 30 minutes. Uh, we, we just need to start getting that. Otherwise his body is going to start to feel the, the effect and it probably already is. Um, I don't know. Do do you think we'll talk about Pittsburgh later, but do you think we can blow them out? It seems like maybe one of the few games that's left on our schedule. Yeah. I thought we could, I thought we could handle Syracuse pretty easily too, but then, but then then, Demacell had a, had a little too much fun, I I think. And so hopefully uh, Dwayne Bacon is not in town and they're able to to focus a little better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, so we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But first, what we talked about last time, wanting to do a uh, segment on taking some user questions or, or listener questions. And so uh, we, we're going to do just that. The, the Syracuse game is over. We won. Great. 21-4, and 11-3 in the ACC. Uh, so while we'd like to get Trent more rest, we can, we can, you know, it's a lot more fun to talk about concerns while you're winning than talk about concerns while you're losing. Uh, so why don't we move into to a series of questions? And I'm just going to read some of these just off the page uh, here. But there was one that, that actually was given to me by text uh, from from a buddy, from from Nicky out in Fort Worth there. Uh, hey, Nick. And he, he's wanting to know if you have the coronavirus uh, and what's up with your cough. <laughs> People have noticed my cough is, is yeah, I think they have <laughs> dissipating. Yeah, I've been listening to it for months, so I, I, I sympathize with anybody who's kind of tired of yeah know, hearing it on the spot. I I have not been quarantined, so I think that means that I do not have the coronavirus. Uh, I unf- <laughs> you didn't go on a cruise right on recently, cube. did you? <laughs> I did not. Luckily, my wife would, would never step foot on a cruise boat, so we we don't I don't have to worry about that. 
Uh, I just happen to live in a, in a, in a, in a spot in the country in, in Northern California. You know, you, you may have heard of paradise, which is the town that burnt down. Uh, so the, that was about a year and a half ago. And, and what that meant for us on the ground was that we basically spent about five weeks just inhaling, you know, horrible amounts of smoke every day. And so it's, it's not unusual around here to just hear people coughing kind of sucks, but you know, I w I'll get over it. I'll stop, I'll, I'll stop coughing into, into the microphone. Um, you know, ho hopefully soon, soon as, soon as my, uh, my overpaid doctors can, can, can get a handle on this thing. We'll, we'll be at this, good. At this point, I kind of feel like it's your, it's a playoff beard, right? Like I, I, I'm almost worried that if, if we fix your cough, then all of a sudden these close games that we're winning, are going to start going the other direction. So. Well, had we, had we beaten Duke, then I, I would have skipped my next, my next doctor's appointment. But. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Um, so there's, there's been a, a few number of uh, more serious questions too, although I suppose the coronavirus could, could be deemed as a serious question, but let's start off with, um, and, and I don't know that we'll both answer all of these, but if, if you um, are, we'll see who is burning to say something, but um, you talked about some of the defensive breakdowns uh, against Syracuse, other than maybe keeping guys like Buddy Beheim, uh, Beheim off the, uh, you know, uncomfortable out of the perimeter. But what kind of defensive adjustments do you think uh, we could expect to see the remainder of the season? Um, and, you know, are, are, are those adjustments, I guess what's possible maybe is the question. Yeah, I really don't think we're going to see anything that people notice. You know, it's it's the the system, the the players that we have running it right now. It's just the our bigs are suddenly not going to become super effective. It just you know it kind of is what it is, and the the coaches are going to continue to try to uh, you know teach the minutia of this defense to make sure that everybody is rotating on time and, and, you know, doing all those things that we're constantly talking about. I, I actually don't think we're going to see any, you know, major defensive adjustments. You know, it's just the coaches trying to get the players to do a little better job, uh, you know, doing what it is that they're teaching them. So maybe along the same, same line, it was a separate question. Uh, and this one, I think, and you know what, I got I should have done a better job of taking down who asked these. That's, that's on me guys. Uh, I'll, I'll take that fall but maybe next time we'll be able to give shout outs uh, for who asked him too but um so this one was asked in a couple of threads so considering what you just said do you if, if you had the ability to make changes to the rotation and I guess they don't have to be defensively focused but w would you make changes to the rotation and if so what um, I might tweak the minutes a bit I don't I don't think that I would make major changes I think um there are going to be matchups like Syracuse where, where I thought that Dom was pretty effective. It's not that he's going to have a, a big uh, um, statistical game. It's just against a zone. You want to be able to occupy that middle defender. And, and I thought that he did a pretty good job of that. So there, you know, there are going to be games where, you know, maybe Dom gets a few minutes, maybe Raekwon Gray gets a few minutes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm kind of getting on the Wyatt Wilkes train. I, I have not been a, uh, a, a ticket paying member on the, on that train, but I'm kind of getting on it. You know, he, he, he comes in and he does some good things. It's, it's a shame he can't defend anybody, but, but I, I, I I'm kind of, I, I think I'm to the point where I would, you know, maybe like to see him uh, getting a few more minutes. And then I, I really get uncomfortable when there aren't two of, of Trent Forrest and Jay Walker, Devin Sell on the court. And so, I would like the coaches to stop doing that, you know, especially at the end of halves, you know, I'll look up and all three of them are on the bench at the same time. And I'm just like, Oh shit, here comes a, you know, four point run by the other team. But you know, other, other, so other than tweaking minutes, you know, I, I, I don't think that I would make any, any, uh, <laughs> any major changes to the rotation. Yeah. I think I'm with you there. I I'm also with you on some of the minutes though. I, I think home games for me, I'm comfortable with Wyatt getting, let's call it 12 minutes, uh, you know, at, on, in home games. And, and I might even extend that to, I think, I think it's been really clear, even with the coaches where if we're playing a team that perhaps is um, equal to us athletically, 
maybe he doesn't quite play quite you know, as much. But, you know, if, if we were to face a team uh, like Boston College or something, you know, I, or, or even in this game, Syracuse, I thought Wyatt was extremely effective in the minutes that he played. Um, so, yeah, I, I would – I'm for him getting more minutes. I'll, I'll say one thing. Um, I like the minutes that Raekwon Gray is playing. I would continue to urge him, if I were the coaching staff, to, like, not – take as many threes <laughs> or um, maybe what appears to me to be forced shots uh, uh, that are not within the flow of the offense. Um, I, I just, you know, I feel like oftentimes there are three or four other guys that I prefer to have take the, the shot. That said, when he's able to get in the lane and break down his man off the dribble, he's pretty effective and his defense is certainly needed and, and uh, impactful. So I, I am okay with the minutes that Raekwon Gray is getting, maybe just an adjustment uh, to his role. Uh, let's move on. So here's one that is kind of about seeding. Um, and I want to make the note that I'm not asking about specific teams, but what would be your preferred uh, bracket? Let's take a one seed off the table. We'd all want to be one seeds in any tournament we ever play. Uh, not looking at the one seed, what would be your preferred bracket seeding? Let's say, let's start with two through four in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament, two seed through four seed. Yeah, I, I, I am absolutely on team two seed. We, uh, and it's not just because uh, Florida State has never been seeded that high. It's just the math, especially at like the elite eight level is really in your favor, you know, as a two seed. Um, it, it goes downhill pretty sharply after a four seed. So, you know, I like the I like that the questions kind of one through four because those are, those are the four good seeds. But if you look at them sort of in order, you definitely, uh, from my perspective, there's, you know, it, it, it's 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 not a it's not an either or thing. It's not a oh well maybe we want a three. You know, just, I'm not seeing it. There's no reason to want to be seated lower um, than you possibly you know should be or could be. If we're a two, you know, do you want you want to be a two? Does that same uh, rationale apply? Okay, so let's let's move away from the protected seeds, the geographically protected seeds, which are one through four. So let's look at seeds five through eight, which I don't think I, I don't know that Florida State would be an eight seed even if it lost out. But um, let's look at five through eight, and would you just prefer to be the five seed then, or or would your feelings change? Yeah, there, there's there's an argument on the the five six thing, uh, or, or the four five thing. Five is kind of a uh, you know a, a, a troubling seed. They have not advanced very far in the in the tournament. Um, I think zero percent um, have ever. Uh, have, no one's ever won the tournament as a five, as at least that that comes to mind. And you're often facing you know in that opening round, you're either getting a you know, because you're getting kind of the last of the the teams that are that are uh, at large selections into the tournament. So you're getting either a mid major who has some gaudy like thirty and two record from some bad conference mm-hmm. who's just not not used to losing games, or you're getting you know that that eight and eight team or nine and nine. I don't even know how many how many games they play anymore in the Big Ten, but you're getting like that middle of the road team from a really good conference. And I, th- I think when Florida State was a was a we played fun, Wisconsin, we were, yeah, we and I don't even know that we, we were, played Wisconsin. I don't even know that we were favored, you know, in, in that yeah. game. And so there's just a lot of dumb. We play, we play a team from a major conference that had injuries during the year, lost some games they shouldn't, but then got healthy, and then and then you're playing a pretty darn good team as a 12 seed. Yeah, so I, th- I think the NCAA does a really good. Uh, uh, Pretty good, we'll call it. Job of of seeding teams. I'm I could pick some nits about the teams they're they're selecting, but I think they do a good job seeding teams. But if you're looking for, you know, that dumb game, it's always the five twelve game. It's just like, how are these two teams matched up? How why how are you rewarding the five for being the better team by sticking them up against a, you know, somebody like Wisconsin in that case? Yeah, and I'll take it a step. So I. I don't have much to add on the first question because I agree two seed uh, almost with, there's no argument for the being anything other than the two seed. Um, but the, so it's interesting. I was doing some research on this too, uh, for this question, six seeds overall, like in the history of the tournament, since it's been seeding, 
uh, forget round one, forget round two, six seeds just have a higher winning percentage in the tournament than five seeds do. Uh, they, they have won 53.3% of their games. And, and five seeds have won 52.9% of their games. Both teams have won roughly the same amount of first-round games. Uh, five seeds defeat 12s at about two-thirds of the time, 66 67%. Sixes defeat 11s at about 64% of the time. But he, here's where it really makes a difference. The five seed, like a four seed, in the Sweet 16, most often has to play the one because ones don't lose to eights or nines very often. Uh, so the five seeds have played in the tournament. They've played the one seed 54 times. Um, six seeds in the Sweet 16 are often uh, facing the right the two, or or that they're not facing the one. So they've only um, they've only played the one seed in the tournament uh, 16 times. So to me, I, if I if we can't be a two seed uh, or or a protected seed. I'd probably rather fall to a six uh, than be a five. There's not much of a difference in play, the 11 versus the 12, and you're, you avoid the one seed longer uh, as long as you can in that, in that six seed line. Uh, but it's a good question, so thank, thanks for submitting that one. Let's, let's get to a couple more here. Uh, we'll try to keep them quick. Um, can you forecast out the, the – well, I don't know about, you know what, it's probably too early. Let me ask it this way. Who's the most likely next commit, and do we have any shot at some of the big guys like Kaminga or Jabari Smith? Uh, well, this one can be quick. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll get a little detail on there. I'm sure that's not what the questioner was looking for. Uh, the most likely next commit, I think, is Anthony Brown. He's a He's a class of 22 guard out of Orlando. I don't think he's been rated by the services yet. Maybe maybe one of them rivals maybe gave him like three stars or something. Uh, I have heard a lot of people compare him to um, Devin Vassell at the same stage. So, you know, like he's this uh, sort of really, <laughs> really long and bouncy uh, perimeter player who is, who is uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a late, late, later than most, you know, his blooming is, is a little bit late. So, you know, I think he'll probably, he'll probably come on strong as a senior, but right now he's, he's not really getting recruited by many teams and, and Florida state's all over him, which is, which is often a good sign for your future uh, star rating. And then for the big, big recruits, um, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's like a one percent chance maybe we could get Musa Cisse. He is, uh, you know, he's he's playing now with with Bryce McGowan's, who's who uh, has committed to Florida State, so he'll have he'll have McGowan's in his ear. Hopefully, not vice versa. And then, I don't know. Maybe Jamari uh, Jabari Smith. Uh, you know, he's an Atlanta kid. We we could have a chance at him. I think I think Kennedy Chandler is pretty much off the table at this point. And Foster, I just I don't know much about, but I would be surprised if we could, you know, pull somebody from you know from across the country. Yeah, I and the same probably would apply to Jalen. Jalen Green wasn't even in the question, but I would say the same about Jalen Green. Maybe if they're in Atlanta, right? Like we have we have some historical success there, but to pull someone from California or just across the country that. I don't know, unless we win the national title or something. And even then, like, that might not have as big of an effect until maybe the classes of, like, 22 or 23. Um, you know, a lot of the kids have been build, building those relationships for, for a while. Um, we'll do three more and then, and then take a break. So, um, so going from recruits to, you know, current guys, what would you say is Trent's ceiling at the professional level? Um, couple seasons at the end of a bench in the NBA, uh, the G league 10 day contracts or Europe, any thoughts on his professional uh, level ceiling? Well, if you, if you ask coach young, see why he, he says that Trent is, is 10 years in the, in the NBA, you know, many of those years as a, as a starter. So he, he, you know, he is very high on Trent's game and he's not, he, he's a guy who, who's always trying to increase people's confidence, but he's not necessarily blowing smoke up their ass. And so, you know, you kind of you kind of got to take what he says seriously. I, I I I don't know though. I don't that that seems a little aggressive to me. That 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 Trent is gonna 
you know, somehow become a, uh, you know, valuable role player in the NBA for, for a decade. I, I, <laughs> I do think he's going to get a shot. You know, I think, I think he's going to be a lot like, like Terrence Mann where, where he, where he will work his way into some, you know, some kind of two-way contract or, you know, get a, get a series of 10 day, con- <laughs> 10 day contracts or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't really see him, uh, taking the, um, you know, the, the Michael Ojo route or the uh, Bernard James route where you just, you go to another country and, and uh, you know, kind of kind of become the guy in that league. I, I think that Trent is going to figure out a way to, to stick around. I just, I just don't know if it's going to be, you know, a, a long series of, of up and down trips between the G League and the NBA or, or if he's actually going to be able to stick. So he... Here's one thing that I will, I don't know that I'm going to flat out agree with CY, but here's one thing I'll say in his favor. Uh, Trent Forrest is, is only 21 and a half right now. Um, he, he is, he was born in June of 98. So, um, he, he is young. He is, let me, let me see what I'm trying to say. He could still develop his shot a little bit. He is not someone who, um, he, he is not someone who maybe has peaked in terms of their, their coordination or, or physical development. Uh, and so when you, when you look at a guy who was 12% from three on eight attempts his freshman year, 21% on 14 attempts his sophomore year, 23% on 30 attempts his junior year, and so far 28% on 43 attempts this year, none of those are good by any stretch of the imagination. But he has improved every single year. He's done it on more attempts every year. And this year he's doing it on a further, on a line, a three point line that's closer to the NBA line. So, um, and, and worth noting that his free throw percentage has also improved, improved every year from 67% up to what it is now 82%. If, if those trends could continue and if Trent Forrest could become even a below average perimeter shooter, for the NBA. So we're talking, let's say 32, 33%. Um, I think that my, my confidence in him playing for six, seven, eight years would grow immensely uh, because he is such a strong defender. He has decent size for the position. Um, You know, we've seen guys like Sean Livingston who was longer um, and, and more explosive pre knee surgeries um, than Trent Forrest, but he did not have really a, a perimeter game at all, but he was able to work that mid range game and be just a smart high IQ player who controlled the minutes with him when he was in off the bench. Uh, so I, I think there could be a scenario where Trent hangs get gets with a team that is looking for a solid backup point guard and, and proves he would have to prove probably in the G league, that he can shoot at least below average levels and not be a complete liability um, with, with his jump shot. Uh, that, that statement there has a lot of ifs. I'll just state that, you know, he has improved each year and he's still only 21 and a half. Uh, I agree with you that I don't see him as some, you know, some of these guys like Ojo or, or Uche Echefu or who, who are, you know, they come from another country originally, maybe have more success. There's a lot of restrictions put in place on, on these foreign leagues where they can only have so many American players. So I, I don't know that I would see uh, Trent there as much as I would in the NBA or G League. And frankly, the wide open game could, could help his game a little bit, uh, have more space for his slashing. Um, what about what role player on this year's team could you see having the biggest impact on a postseason run? I'll actually take this one first because I – I don't know that I think Raquan Evans could have the biggest impact on our postseason run, not necessarily by what he does in the postseason, but going back to earlier by what he does, but between now and the NCAA tournament, if he could get Trent minute, Trent Forrest's minutes down um, into that 30, 31 range because of his play and his improved uh, understanding of the system and confidence on his leg, I think Raekwon Evans, uh, his play now could be the biggest impact on our, on our March run. Yeah. I, I, I don't know who, um, I like the Evans pick. I don't, I just don't know who to qualify as a role player. I mean, kind of everybody's a role player. besides. Trent That's a great point. Team. You can yeah. pick anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'll take, I'll take uh, Devin Vassell. No. Um, yeah. I, I think that in, in a, in I'll a, give you in any a, non, how about non-starter maybe? 
Yeah. Um, I, I was going to go with anybody under 20 minutes, which I, I just happen to have the stats pulled up in front of me here. So uh, the in an NCAA tournament run or an ACC tournament run, you're going to probably have, you know, somebody, somebody come in and be PJ Savoy for a few minutes and, and knock down a bunch of threes and get FSU back into a game it was out of or to, you know, put an opponent away late or, or something like that. And since I was on the, the Wyatt Wilkes train earlier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and call it that, that sometime in March, Wilkes is going to come into a game. He's going to go bananas from three, and we're going we're gonna to win that game because of it. I love it. That would be – I would love to see the, the bench's reaction when that's happening. Um, so I, I, I hope that's right. Uh, last question here, and then we'll take a, a quick break. Um, how many years – so what does your gut tell you about how many years Coach Hamilton has left? Uh, and is there any way we can get a, a Hoops Dedicated podcast faithful to pitch together and find him all the ham sauce he needs? Um, I don't know about the ham sauce. I think he's doing fine – in that regard, he seems to have found the, the fountain of youth. But how many, how many years what, – what's his contract like, and how many years does he have left? It's his contract's up. I mean, he's, In April, right? Yeah, this is it. And so I think they're, they're working on an extension now, which we'll probably hear an announcement at some point after, after the season. Uh, he is here as long as he wants to be. You know, I, I know that everybody is immediately going to cringe and say, well, that's what we were saying, talking, saying about Bobby Bowden. But – it's a different sport, you know. Ham is, uh, I think, when I when I say that he's here as long as he as long as he wants to be, like that's actually true. Like Florida State, uh, if you were around uh, from the transition from our last coaching staff to this coaching staff, Florida State was the arguably the worst um, high major major conference team in in the nation. I mean the 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 everything about the program was just absolutely completely in the dumps and the the steps that that it has taken because of coach hamilton is really remarkable and i do not see him um you know sort of just letting the the um you know, letting all the weeds go to seed you know he's going to th- i think that he's going to keep as long as he's here he's going to keep you know a really sharp staff around him he's going to keep recruiting he understands I mean this is a guy who spent an entire almost year living in a hotel to recruit one guy to, to Kentucky you know he, he knows what it takes he knows that great coaches are made by great players he's, he's he's not losing you know any of that and so he's he's what 71 now uh the oldest the oldest coach is about 75 I think is Bayheim. I don't know. There might be some mid-major or somebody who's got an older coach, but you know, so seventy-five is certainly doable. And with and with Hams, um, you know, his 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 permanent youth, I wouldn't be surprised to see him coaching here. To, you know, into into his late seventies, so you know, seventy-seven, seventy-eight. So that would be another uh, six or seven years. I could I could easily see him being around. Yeah, that seems. I think that seems accurate. Everything you said about the pro, what he's done for the program is spot on. And I think most importantly is that he, he hasn't grown stagnant. He, he was able to evolve his offense, evolve his uh, recruiting methods. He, he kind of got better with, with taking fewer of the projects or, or fewer of them all at one time. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, help barring any health issues, I would say that 75, 76 seems like a, a good um, bet, you know, and maybe, maybe even a tad older. I, I'll, I'll say this uh, next year's team with or without Williams and Vassell is going to be on paper, pretty good for, for a Hamilton type of roster for what he wants to do. Uh, and the team after that, I mean, think about this two years from now, people, these names will still be on the roster. Anthony Polite, Raekwon Gray, uh, Malik Osborne. Um, is Wilkes a redshirt sophomore, I think? I, I, yep. You know, yeah. potentially Bolso Copravica. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'd say he's going to stick around for that year, right? Um, so, yeah, I just don't see, I don't see a world in which he's gone any, any sooner than, than, you know, three, four, five years, uh, barring or five years probably barring barring some health issues that we of course hope he doesn't have uh so 
we, we answered a bunch of questions. Uh, that was fun. We'll have to do that again. Uh, let's take a break real quick. And then when we come back, we will talk Pittsburgh. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we are back. All right. Final segment here. Uh, We are going to – so Florida State's lost four games this year, one of which came the opening night of the season at the Pitt Panthers uh, in the Oakland Zoo in a game in which, surprise, surprise, neither Devin Vassell nor MJ Walker played almost an entire half. So um, very much like the the game we just watched against Syracuse. Uh, And and Pittsburgh was able to shoot an an inordinate amount of uh, free throws in that game and just repeatedly – get to the line and ultimately win by three. They come down to Tallahassee for, uh, for hopefully, you know, I'm sure Florida state's looking for some revenge. The players had some interesting comments uh, and some after the game, just about how they feel like they've grown since that first game and really matured and, and uh, you know, grow more comfortable in their roles on the, on the uh, team. What do you see uh, about this pit game? And and are they the same, are they the same team that they were uh, day one? Well, I'm having a hard time remembering November, and so uh, I, I would I would like to think that when you say Vassell and MJ Walker were out, it was because MJ was maybe injured and Vassell was suspended or something. I think they I both know. picked up two fouls in like uh, oh, ninety right. seconds. Right, and <laughs> they, then they, they both... sat yeah. for the next nineteen minutes. Yeah, well, MJ um, was injured most of the preseason, and then they both picked up uh, they both picked up two fouls in about ninety seconds. Yeah, it's 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 strange that they both sat for 19 minutes and we and we lost. Yeah, huh. I wonder what three. could have I wonder what could have been done lost differently in that three. game. <laughs> um, Pitt is is uh, they're they're really good at getting to the line. Obviously, um, you know, based on that game, they they they've only shot more free throws once this year than that game. So so they're not that good, you know, at, at getting to the line. But they but they are good. Um, they're they're just um, inside the top hundred, I believe. On, on actually getting to the line. Um, the, the basic problem is that outside of that, um, that and offensive rebounding, they're just, there's not that good of an offensive team. They've got uh, uh, Trey McGowan's, um, who we'll call the bad McGowan's brother. Um, he leads the team with, with 12.5 uh, per game. And then his buddy Xavier Johnson is right, is right behind at 11.8. And then they've got this freshman, um, uh, just, <laughs> excuse me, Justin Champagny. Um, and he has come on, right? He, I don't know that he saw a lot of action in our game. Yeah, I think that, that you know, to answer your question about is this, you know, what's changed about this team? I, I think that, uh, you know, maybe halfway through the out-of-conference season, um, the coaches kind of realized that they had a bit of a special freshman and they've been giving him a lot uh, more responsibility. And he's actually tied for the team lead um, in uh, scoring. And I doubt that, that we mentioned him once, um, you know, when we were doing the preview for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the pit game. Uh, you know, we – Trey McGowan, Xavier Johnson, obviously the, the big two. And then they have this uh, Ryan Murphy um, who is – transferred from charlotte he's like their designated sniper but he's just not that good of a shooter i think he's about a 35 percent we probably would have talked about him you know so the big difference now is that champagne just plays a much bigger role um and they're a they're a but their offense is still you know kind of stagnant not that good uh defensively eh, they're okay you know they're, they're they're not anything special uh they have they have a, a significant problem rebounding the ball because they're they're a small team and so we should be able to maybe take advantage of that the same way that we did um against Syracuse um at least I, w- I would I would certainly hope so they do force a lot of turnovers and considering we just uh you know turn the ball over 18 times against Syracuse that's that's a bit alarming and before everyone starts complaining about the refs for 40 straight minutes 
Um, Pittsburgh does not put teams on the line. They don't, they don't foul very much. So I think regardless of how this game is refed, you know, Pitt is going to end up uh, shooting significantly more free throws than Florida State. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's being refed unfairly. It's just the two different styles of, of teams on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and I, let me correct myself from earlier, too. I, I kept saying that Pitt won by three the first go-around. They actually only won by two uh, in that game in which Vassell and Walker did not play. I think they combined for less than 40 minutes. Um, but so it was 63 to 61. Uh, I, I, the free throws, again, can be concerning, right? Um, I, you know, you'd like to think that we would have learned our lesson. This was two trips in a row up to Pittsburgh where – they they really beat us not not that they made more percentage or higher percentage but they just took a lot more uh, free throws than us. I, I think it'll be interesting for me to see. Um, so Patrick Williams did play in that first game. He played 27 minutes, but I, you know he just you know his first game as a freshman in college, and so I don't know how comfortable he was. I don't know if he had truly grown into his skin. I, I'm going to be interested to see if he can just do the same thing that he did against Syracuse, which is quite honestly be the best athlete and the, and the, the biggest, baddest guy on the court, right? Like we're talking about a 6'8", 225-pound guy that you're, there's not a lot of people that Pitt has who can, who can defend him. Uh, so, so he's someone that I, I hope that can make a big difference. Dom didn't even play in the first game. You'll remember that he had uh, quite a bit of quite uh, some injury trouble and Bolsa only played six minutes. So we had six minutes combined from, from Dom and Bolsa. And, and you know what, the first game we, we actually, yeah, we got 30% of our offensive rebounds, but that's below actually what Pitt has been allowing on the season. So I'd like to see if maybe we can dominate the boards a little bit better uh, than we did in, in the first game. Uh, Also of note, Trent Forrest played 39 minutes in the first one. Uh, he scored 19 points. He he did though have those five turnovers, and like you just said, uh, Pittsburgh is is able to turn teams over. So gonna need a better um, a better game out of Trent Forrest than than what he had. He, he had an 88 offensive rating. He had uh, the five turnovers there, and and he, he did he did take you know he made those 19 points, but it was on 14 shots, so it wasn't overly efficient. Um, is there anything that I didn't – is there another player that I didn't just mention? I don't know. You want to go back to your boy Wyatt that can make a difference in, in this home game against Pitt? Yeah, I'd like to see how much Pitt ends up playing. Um, you know, they got uh, Terrell Brown, who's 6'10". Um, you know, outside, outside of him, they have to go really small. And so, you know, there's potential for – you know, Dom or Balsa to come in. And it's almost like they're playing a mid-major team in terms of size. Um, and we and we saw, uh, you know, Balsa had, you know, really good games against like St. Francis and Chattanooga, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe we can see, you know, you know, one of one of those games or, you know, Dom, Dom had good games against, against, uh, you know, I don't even remember. I think it might, might have been St. Francis as well that he, that he had one of his good games in, or Chicago State or something. Um, North Florida, I think he had a good, but anyway, uh, you know, these, these teams that don't really have bigs, you know, it, it, it often is one of the more intriguing things to watch is that, are we able to go big and make them adjust or do we have to go small to kind of match what they're doing? So, so, you know, I, I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch, uh, you know, come, uh, you know, I guess tomorrow night's the game. And uh, my my hunch is that we're kind of, we're gonna kind of have to adjust to to what Pitt is doing, and so we'll, we'll you know we'll probably see a lot of our small lineups. But I I would like to see our bigs kind of flex their muscle a little bit, and this is probably the best chance they have, um, you know, heading down the stretch. Yeah, I I. I'll be interested. I don't know if I think I, – I think Balsa can have some success. He, he's a little more, I think, aggressive actually trying to just rip down the rim, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him have maybe three offensive rebounds and two dunks, uh, perhaps a lob or two. I, I'll say that, you know, if we moved into predictions, assuming that our player – like Devin plays, that MJ plays, right? Assuming that no one sits for some unforeseen reason right now, I will be surprised if we lose this game. Um, and, and I know we lost them up up there, but Florida State shoots well at home. 
they typically have one of those bursts of defense where they turn the team over three or four times in a row and lead to some runouts and gets the crowd going. It's an 8 p.m. tip. Uh, so I, I would be surprised if Florida State – I don't know if we're going to win by, um, you know, 15 maybe. I, I don't know, think we're going to win by that much, but I wouldn't be shocked if we win by, you know, 9 or 10 and kind of have a manageable working lead the entire second half. Uh, do, do you feel differently? I, I I would be shocked, like literally shocked, if Pitt comes in and and pulls off the win. I th- I, I would I think that you know Florida State, assuming Dev Massell and everybody is ready to go, is kind of ready to blow these guys out. You know, and that that would be like a fifteen to twenty point uh, win. But I think the coaches are also going to be trying to manage people's minutes, and so you know we won't. We won't necessarily see Forrest, MJ, and Devin, you know, all play in 35 minutes to, to really put it on pit. So I think this is going to be a game that we could <laughs> we could blow blow them out, but it's probably going to end up, you know, being more in like the eight to, to 12 range. I think I think the the line I haven't seen if, it, if it's come out yet, but the line's probably going to be around like 10 and a half or 11. Um, so. You know, I I think we should be able to handle these guys pretty easily. So you're saying uh, Hamilton might manage minutes proactively like he did maybe against Miami as opposed to just hoping that we get a 15-point lead and then, then, you know, sit guys then, which which I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, Before – well, one more minute here. There were were a number of ACC developments, and one being – so Virginia kind of solidified itself as the fourth team that's – you know, the team is probably going to get that fourth double bye, which would, you know, um, be relevant for the ACC tournament uh, with their sort of last second win over UNC. The other big, big shocker was Clemson uh, has now defeated Duke and Louisville at home. So they, they've got a win over both of the teams who are, who are ranked in the top two of the conference, uh, which, which makes it to where there's a whole, there's three teams kind of right there at the top. Duke travels to NC State on Wednesday and it's one of their probably one of their only two remaining games that that will even be less than a 10 point uh you know favorite the other one would be at virginia florida state's best outcome uh if if you're looking to win the acc would be or will be the one seed in the acc would be a three-way tie in which the winner of the florida state louisville game whoever wins the game next week uh wins a three-way tie because that team will have won two against the other three teams on the best record against the other three. Does Duke have any shot at losing to an NC state team that's coming off a, a brutal last second loss to Boston college with surprise, surprise, a controversial call uh, on an out of bounds play. Yeah. The problem is that, so if we beat Louisville, Louisville's got four losses, so they got to win out. Right. And then, and then Duke has to lose two games. Right. You know, that's exactly right. Yeah, and so it's, you know, where are those two games? It's like Virginia Tech at home, NC State at home, North Carolina at home. There's 0% chance they lose any of those games. Uh, They do have three road games. NC State, you know, like you were just talking about, Wake Forest and Virginia. What are the chances that they lose, drop two of those? Probably, You know, it's probably not. I think um, they can drop one. I don't know about two. Yeah, one is certainly probably the, the favorite. Um, zero is probably more likely than two. Um, two is, is, you know, there's potential, but this is, this is one of those things where if Florida state does end up at the one seed, you know, we'll, we'll obviously be, you know, patting all the Florida state players on the back for doing a great job, but it's also, you know, this is March and you, you kind of need some help from other teams and, and the help we need from Duke is to, to drop a couple, um, you know, games where they're going to be, you know, probably eight or nine point, eight or nine point favorites, even though they are playing on the road. Yeah. I, I will say, interestingly, um, a Louisville win, if, if you told me that there was no way that Duke could, could lose two games, a Louisville win over Florida State would, would mean that if Duke lost one game and if Louisville won out, Louisville would win the tiebreak over Duke and they'd be the one seed. Uh, Duke would be the two seed. Florida State would be the three seed. Tell you what, I'd much rather play Duke again uh, in the two-three semifinal matchup than than have to face Louisville for a third time. Uh, but I don't know. You, I, you never want to start hoping for losses. Uh, you you want to win your games and see see how the chips fall. Uh, one note on all that is that Duke has the the worst 
the, the easiest conference schedule to date, um, it, according to Ken Palm, they are the 15th ranked conference schedule in the ACC, which, to be fair, teams that are the best often have some of the weaker strength of schedule because they can't play themselves. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to note that Duke has the 15th. Louisville, who can't play itself, has the 11th. And Florida State, who also can't play itself, has the ninth hardest schedule. Florida State would also probably have the hardest remaining schedule with, uh, with the Louisville game plus uh, at Clemson and at uh, NC State and at Notre Dame. Uh, so, so North Carolina is in last place, so they've, they've obviously played a really brutal schedule, right? You, one would think, since they can't play themselves. However, they actually have the second easiest conference schedule. So they're in last place and have had played the second easiest schedule. Um, well, good no. job, Roy. Way, way, to, way to coach them up. Uh, all right, that, that's, uh, that's going to be it for us. Uh, for Michael, I'm Matt Minnick, and we'll, we'll see you next time.